Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine lovers and love birds, because this episode, as Valentine's Day is fast approaching, I have decided to dive into the world of romance, passion with the perfect elixir for love. And that is, my friends, Bracchetto d'Aqui. Now, this is a sparkling red gem that comes from the beautiful hills of Piemonte in Italy, and it is renowned as the quintessential love wine. So it's going to be Norbert Reinisch from Ryder Winery who's going to take us on this journey and not just this beautiful, frothy, sweet wine, but also Moscato de Asti. These two are quite possibly, actually no, most definitely the happiest wines in the world. And if you are a wine lover and have not tried these two wines, you absolutely have to. Now, quick shout out to Wickham's Wine, my sponsor, who make a lot of this possible and make my life a hell of a lot easier. So do go across to their website as well and use the code EATSLEEP10 for 10% off your first order. Right, get ready for some of the funnest wines in the world. My first question to you, considering actually this is a Valentine's Day themed episode, I think is quite perfect because it was love, in fact, that brought you over to the Bryder Winery, was it not? It was indeed, actually. Um, <laughs> as you can hear from my name, Norbert Reinisch doesn't really sound Italian. If you would see me, I don't really look Italian, so I'm not Italian. I'm from Austria. And actually, I was trained as a medical doctor, specialized in internal medicine. And at the beginning of my career at the hospital, I met actually the wine Bricco de Lucellone, the Barbera from, from Bryder. And I saw a television show called The Winemaker of Europe from Christian Richard, and he was interviewing Giacomo Bologna, the founder of the winery. He was seated in the restaurant Cascinale Nuovo with the napkin on his tummy. And speaking about his love to Barbera, how to treat Barbera to get a great wine. And I just started to work at college departments, so really very depressing. And I said, <laughs> he, he was able to transmit his passion just with a simple interview. And I decided to go to Vinitaly, which is in Verona, which is just a two hours drive from Innsbruck. And I tried to uh, meet this guy because I, I, he was so full of life, of, so full of energy. And I said, no, I need to know, to know this man. I bought the wine, I tasted the wine, I loved it. And so I arrived at Vinitaly, no word Italian. A friend of mine, he, she was writing down the phrase, uh, may I taste, and which is sarebbe possibile assaggiare, <laughs> and the names of the important wines I wanted to taste I knew anyway. And so I, I arrived uh, at different uh, booths and asked for to taste some wines. And they said, no, are you from the industry? And so I said, no, I'm just a medical doctor, young medical doctor, interested in wine. So some of them, they didn't give me anything to drink. Uh, or taste. And so I arrived Outrageous. at the of, of Bryder uh -huh. and I was asking for Mr. Giacomo Bologna. And there was a, a guy there telling me, no, I'm sorry to tell you, he passed away three months ago. 
No. I didn't know this. So he, he passed away Christmas Day in 1990, and I arrived in early April of 91. And then I said, oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, I didn't know this. And I turned around and I said, oh, stop, 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 stop. So, and just wait uh, in Italian, which I could understand. Okay, I should wait. And Raffaella appeared from this little small office at the back of the booth. And she was the only one speaking English at the booth at this time. How convenient. And, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so I saw her coming out and... Believe it or not, it was a flash. I fell in love immediately. No, really? Yes. And let's say this was 30, 34 years ago in 91, 33 years ago. I was dressed with uh, with a papillon and I had glasses. I looked a little bit like Harry Potter, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Long before. Nothing wrong with that look. (laughs) (laughs) And so Rafaela also, I think she liked me from the beginning. And she, she invited me to sit down to taste all the wines, to have some salami, some katsu, uh, pepperoncini, and so on. And it didn't finish there. Uh, that the, She invited me for dinner as well. And I, I, I was, I'm still quite a shy guy. I said, no, thank you. Thank you so much. But I returned the next day with two roses, one for <gasps> her and one for her mom. Oh, so, now you know, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Austrian mm-hmm. charm, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I, I returned and I said, thank you for the hospitality and so on, because they treated me as of the industry, so not just a, as, a, as a love of wine. And a couple of weeks later, I received a letter where Raffaello was writing, thank you for the interest and so on, and thank you for the roses which we brought home to Roqueta Tanro. And so then we started to write letters. At this time, there were no no email yet. (laughs) Oh, now this is just so romantic. Okay. And I also started, instead of going in holidays uh, to Tuscany, which usually I did, or on the seaside in Italy, I went down to to Piedmont and so on. A story started. I love that. So obviously very soon you learned the words in Italian, will you marry me? I assume. <laughs> Absolutely. And not only, not only, you know, I, I made a crash course in Italian, 21 hours only in conversation. So actually today I cannot help my son in his homework because I'm really poor in writing. Oh, no. But let's say in communication, it was okay. And, uh, and of course I learned Italian when I moved a couple of years later to Italy. So I had to learn Italian. No way. But I'm happy. I, oh, I love this. So now you're working fully. You're obviously married into the family, but you're also working for Brider. So what is it that you do at Brider? So today I am responsible for the export markets. Uh, Brider, producing approximately 700,000 bottles a year, is allocating the, the wines 50% to the Italian market and 50% to the export market. And I am responsible for international markets. So I'm usually traveling nearly up to six months a year, especially in the first three months and the last three months of the year, uh, including the wine fairs. And the other six months I'm in the office. So, and, you know, which means it was a very hard time during COVID because we couldn't even move out of the village. <laughs> I was Ooh, two years yeah. uh, in the office, actually, yeah. <laughs> so you were ready, bursting to leave as soon as you could, huh? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. No, it was a good break for me. <laughs> well, you know, so now the interesting thing, which I think you've touched on, which is lovely, is Ryder is one of those wineries, obviously, they, they did not discredit you at the beginning because you weren't in the industry, which is very clever. This is what wineries should be doing. Wine is for everyone. So already I'm giving them a big stamp of approval. But for you, what is it that makes Ryder Winery so special? Let's say, first of all, I think because it's a family. So it's a family winery, although 
now with 60, 64 hectares. So it's, it's quite a big family business right now, but it's still a family. So there's my brother-in-law who is in charge of the of uh, vineyards and in the winemaking and Rafaela uh, together with me in the commercial part. And unfortunately, uh, I never met my father-in-law, but my mother-in-law, she was actually, let's say, leading the kids uh, to where we are today. She's not, not with us anymore. So it's a family business. And you can even feel if you visit us or if you're just uh, coming into into village, it's a very small village, Roqueta Tanaro. Many people are working for us. Uh, so the, it's, it's a family, really, which makes it great. And uh, let's say I was accepted immediately. In this family, also with all the, the people working here, and uh, we have uh, lots of fun. Hard, hard work, but lots of fun. <laughs> well, and now, obviously, it's such a shame you missed uh, Giacomo by three months. He started this winery. He's actually got a pretty beautiful story, hasn't he? Would you care to tell us all listening a little bit about why he was so filled with passion, why he inspired you, and how he set up Brider? Yeah, actually, the family is coming out of the restaurant business. Indeed, uh, there was a famous restaurant called Trattoria Braida, which uh, was run by the grandmother of my wife and in service by the two brothers. When the grandmother was getting too old, I think it was in the, in the early 80s, they stopped to run the Trattoria and the two brothers divided a little bit. So Giacomo, my father-in-law, he started into wine business, doing wine distribution and also from 61 wine production. Whereas his brother today is now running, still with 82 or 83 years, the restaurant family now called Trattoria e Bologna, after they understood that the son, Giuseppe Bologna, their son, was interested to go into the restaurant business. And so they reopened on a, on a different place, but in, in Rochetta Tanaro, a new restaurant business, which is still a very successful, although it's not a it's not a Michelin star restaurant, but it's really a great uh, and and highly quoted trattoria style restaurant in in Rochetta Tanaro. And Giacomo started because he started off with only three hectares at this time. So production, you can imagine, was uh, super limited and let's say maybe not enough really to run a family besides. So he did also a lot of distribution, mostly, but not only domestic wines. And he was shipping the wines then together with his wines to the, to the restaurants. And he was also traveling abroad and in Italy. And he was really having all this, especially in the truffle season, a, a, a white truffle in his bag. And he, he did a lot of party. He did uh, a lot of fun. So people remember him. And he also encouraged some other wine producers really to, to make also this step to don't be just a farmer and working in the weekends in the wine or in the vineyards. Uh, so really starting the wine business. And this was fortunately also in the time, so we're speaking uh, mid of 60s, end of 60s, where Italian quality wine production really started. So, of course, starting in, in Tuscany with the Antenori family and so on, but also in Piedmont, wine characters changed a little bit. So they were more approachable than they had been in the, in the 60s or, or in, the, in the earlier time of this century. And so it was always, always party time. And indeed, when he, he said, uh, okay, when, when we meet, he always said 20 minutes to eight, eight minus 20, otto meno 20, which was always, okay, go out for dinner. <laughs> Love it. Oh, dear me. So he had a very big focus on the great variety, Barbera, but 
We are going to talk about that great variety in great detail on the next episode. So I'm going to park that for a moment. But you've mentioned again already the, is it a village or a town that you're based in, which is Raketa Tanaro? Where is this? If somebody wanted to come and visit you, where are they going to find it in Piemonte? So we are just outside of the city of Asti. So therefore, we are speaking about also Moscato, Dasti, Barbera, Dasti. We are starting with Prachetto d'Aqui, which is uh, maybe uh, another 20 minutes uh, far away from us. But Asti is a beautiful city also to visit, especially in autumn with all the palio going on and so on. Anyway, the area where we are located is called Monferrato. Monferrato literally means Iron Mountain. And indeed, the soil is super rich in iron, which makes it fantastic for actually two grape varieties. And let's say the main grape variety in Piedmont actually is Barbera. So then you divide from the origin Barbera d'Asti, Barbera d'Alba, or Barbera del Monferrato, and so on. And the other one is Grignolino, which is only grown actually in the Asti area. And we are just, uh, let's say, in the car, 35 minutes, when you know the streets, away from Barolo area. So the Lange which are the rather, it's more hilly, it's three, 400 meters higher than uh, we are located here uh, close to the river Tanaro. And then you are in the, in the land of Nebbiolo, of course, the king of wines, Barolo and Barbaresco, and uh, my wife always says, and Barbera is the queen of wines. Also, I think from the character agree. of mm-hmm. the wines, of the fruity, it's, it's more female, more elegant, more drinkable. At this time, Barbera, it was a wine uh, for people who was working into the vineyard, but not making wine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. So if somebody was coming to visit you and they were coming to this area, would Asti specifically be a really good place to base themselves to be able to, to travel around, do you think? You know, in our area, I think if you want to stay in a place, you should choose uh, more countryside places. Oh, really? Of course, okay. There are, there are hotels in Asti and in Alba, but these are really more, you know, business hotels, not really, not really uh, touristic hotels where you would stay a week or five days. But let's say our area is full. We call it Agriturismi, which actually also we have one uh, Agriturismo, which we are calling it Ride of Wine Resort. It's just five to seven, sometimes eight, nine rooms, okay. which are located actually in the vineyard. So you just open the window in the morning. Let's say the only thing which I would miss in Piedmont is the access to the sea. But let's say you open the window, not today because it's unfortunately so foggy. We don't even see the weather. It's really horrible, but it's it's the time. Don't ruin the story. Don't ruin the story. Well, yes. And anyway, foggy. Yes, there's a lot of fog in your area in general. Mm-hmm. You open and you see, and you see the vineyards, forests, hills, and on the back, you have these high mountains of the French and the Swiss Alps. Uh, sometimes, actually, very few days a year, you can see also the Mont Blanc, Monte Bianco, the highest mountain of Europe. So it's uh, 200 kilometers away, away. And sometimes you can you can really see it if, when you know where it is. It's the same to restaurants. Restaurants in the countryside are usually better than in the big cities. Okay. Oh, you, you sold it to me. And it, to be honest, staying inside a vineyard is the most peaceful, tranquil, spiritual, connective experience. I am all for that. So fine. Right. Sign me up for one of those rooms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine as well that this is a region as well that you can really go hiking and walking. I've been to Lamora. I've been in the Barolo region and wow, you know, the hills and stuff. So I imagine all around where you are, it's uh, similar. Yes, no, actually, we are at the beginning of this uh, kind of, of landscape. Indeed, 
you have been in La Moros in the Barolo area, which is a UNESCO World Heritage since uh, maybe 10 years or so. And actually, this World Heritage starts from the first vineyard. When you go up the hill, you're going into a fraction called Bricco. So we will speak later about the name Bricco. And this is part already of this Nizza area, and this is part of this World Heritage. And because when you're driving from, from the airports to, to our place, you don't see vineyards. You just see rice fields. Because it's the biggest rice production in this area ah. here, here and, and Milan. Okay. And so and no hills and no wine. So this people say, oh, where are the vineyards? And okay, just <laughs> go another five minutes with the car and you are falling into the, I always say, the ocean of wines. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. There's some sort of ocean because already you've said that, that you know, here it, there is no sea. Um, what is, obviously you're quite like the sea because you've already mentioned that, but what do you love the most about the Piemonte region? So the Piemonte region, a part of, the, let's say, the landscape has these soft hills and just behind the high mountains, which for me also very important as a skier coming from the Tyrol. So it's one out to Sestriere and you can see the peak of the mountains always white until maybe end of March, April. And the beauty of Piedmont also is this the smaller villages. You don't have really big cities. Uh, you have smaller villages. And let's say the, the funny thing is you go into unknown small villages and in the center of the villages mostly of course always the church and they are churches from the 11th and 12th centuries and they always have some beautiful paintings inside and it's it's incredible then of course i must say restaurant wise uh, i think it's the best region you can find so because it's not touristic we have tourists uh, coming in september october november for one reason which is the truffle and the other nine months, uh, people have to live from us. And so prices in the restaurants and the style of food in the restaurant is what you can eat on everyday base. And it's always the best quality. So we have also a special race of cows, which is called the Razza Piemontese, which is, a, if you see, then there was just the, the fair uh, a month ago in, let's say, where they, they show the Fasona beef. They look really very, very heavy, but you can eat them literally raw from nose to tail. So it's really in soft. Of, of the meat and indeed uh, right now when you go to restaurants most of them are closed in January at this, uh, this season you have this uh, carne cruda which is literally tartar oh, coming yes. from this uh, one year old uh, wheel so it's not red it's rather more white and you just put salt and pepper and a little, little bit of, of uh, lemon and when you're in the season a lot of truffle on the top so this is, a, this is the dish you can it's just the simplest dish and let's say the choice of the quality of meat in Piedmont, it's so easy to get because you get it everywhere. You're selling it. You're selling it. I'm like, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry right now. And I can vouch. It has been a long time since I've been in Piemonte. So I'm not going to make a comment. But I mean, I just remember everywhere we went, you know, the food was stunning. But I can't go into any more details because we can't taste the food. Well, actually, sorry, everyone listening, you also can't taste the wine, but this is a wine podcast after all. We are going to talk about the wine that has inspired this episode because Brachetto de Aquí is one of these wines that has been uh, pinpointed as the Valentine's Day wine. Now, as somebody who lives in Piemonte and is working with these wines, what do you think of this wine? Did the people in Piemonte associate this wine with Valentine's Day or is that all of us silly, loved up <laughs> Westerners? No. 
<laughs> of course, of course. And actually, it's 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 divine for the younger generation. So let's say you are you are, you are part of the young generation. <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> but the point is, indeed, let's say you, you don't. You have to know that there are people here. They are not into spirit drinks, so, so they don't drink high alcohol. So there's no really not yet the problem of binge drinking and so on. And when the young generation stops to drink soft drinks or they are too bored to have just water, they are switching to two wines which are very low in alcohol, one out of which, uh, which is the Brachetto, Brachetto d'Aqui. And also it's not a super dry wine. So, of course, by definition, it is a sweet wine. So you cannot discuss uh, away the sugar. But uh, when we're going to taste this wine, I rather would say it's a slightly sweet wine, let's say. It's uh, because of the acidity itself. So together with the Moscata, which are two grape varieties which have a very high acidity, and the method of winemaking we will discuss later indicates that there is some carbonic acid natural carbonic acid and as you hear from the word it's an acid uh, so the ph of this wine it's super low so it's around 3.1 of something uh, which means really it's quite sour and this uh, acidity really matches and balances the the sweetness of the wine and then i think there are really f- very few aromatic grape varieties and especially red aromatic grape varieties as uh, as Brachetto. I would maybe include the Moscato Rosa from, from Alto Adige or from Trentino, which anyway is, are, have similar fruit profile than this. But if you go to this Brachetto and my wife insists because I would say, okay, can you smell these rose petals? So the, these rose aromas. And then Raffaella, my wife says, no, you have to say it's Bulgarian rose. And oh. I said, what the hell is Bulgarian what? rose? Yes, I was going to say, what, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, it's, so, it's so funny. Actually, then we were making a search on the internet and so on. And let's say it really exists, the Bulgarian rose. Rather more, more known as uh, Damascus rose. So from, from this area anyway from Balkan and, and the Middle East, and it's very perfumed. And only once in our life, we were able, visiting Rome together for a wine tasting, uh, close to the Circus Maximus, there is uh, a rose garden, which is not always open to the public, but uh, April to June, and again in September, October. In this garden, I think it's with free entrance, but it's usually closed. They have 1,100 different rose types there. So we were checking and we went there and it's really very particular flavors. And it really reminds you of the flavor of the of the first impact because you have first this floral impact of this, this rose flavors, like a fragrance, actually. It's very incredible. And then you get these red fruits, uh, let's say, I would say this is super strawberry super raspberry flavors on the nose but also violets it's really beautiful to have this um, all together promising and on the palate it's very similar aromas and flavors um, in on the palate to be honest I, the whole time you've been talking i'm sniffing it I, you you've summed it up beautifully there's something it, there's something it's beautifully perfumed it's really aromatic but it's also just soft and it, it smells very fresh there's something very, very inviting. It's really alive and bright. I'm going to taste it because I can't wait any longer. So okay. I just want to, I only to verify that, that yes, what yes. you say is correct. That's, it's that's, that's quality all. control. It's quality control. <laughs> I do this every morning. <laughs> that's what it is. That's the word. Hang on. So let me have a little try of this. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And the beauty of this wine also is, it, as it's so low in alcohol and have this natural carbonic acid, you can really drink it, even at this time of our interview, which is uh, close oh, to... Oh, early. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> listen, our palates are more open in this moment. Uh, what I love about this wine, and yes, like you said, you can't not talk about the sweetness because it's really there, but because the acidity is so high and because it's so floral, it's a very pretty wine. It's really um, bright and aromatic and alive and it feels so light on the palate. It's really very easy to drink. It's really rewarding, (laughs) to be honest, because doesn't taste cloying in the slightest bright sweet aromatic and actually the florals i get it is it is like a big punnet of strawberries all mashed together but the floral notes like you mentioned violets and rose petals but also it's almost like going into that you could even have some lilies or some even touch of like well not maybe not as strong as jasmine but it really feels like there's all of these gorgeous really intense aromatic uh, flowers in it oh it's, it's such a divine wine which is why as well with the sweetness with the brightness with the prettiness of course this is a great wine to have with chocolate is it not yes. also the preparation of our podcast actually i was watching what could be the best and i, I saw the best one is to have a chocolate uh, fountain <laughs> oh <laughs> with, my god yes is the best thing to combine or right now, because it's the season also, this orange peel, the orange zest, actually, it's so fantastic. Just uh, put it a little bit of chocolate on it and it's incredible. To be fair, when you're doing a romantic dinner, you said like the chocolate fountain, but the chocolate covered strawberries where they've obviously already dried and you just eat them and they're on there on the plate. Oh my God, would be absolutely perfect. Because of course, this wine, even with the sweetness, is still very, very fresh. It tastes Fresh. And so to have the fleshiness and the freshness of strawberries would be absolutely perfect. Would anybody pair this wine with savoury dishes? Do you get a little bit adventurous sometimes in Piemonte when you open this up? Or is this more drink it by itself or drink it with a little bit of chocolate and fruit? What do you think? I discovered uh, traveling in the United States, especially people also like this style of wine, which also later when we are speaking about the Moscato, also as an aperitif. And if you serve uh, cold cuts or uh, savory uh, food as an aperitif, so standing up uh, and you get some, some finger food with it, even with, with some gorgonzola cheese, which is a Piemontese cheese anyway, it works, it works. But let's say 90% of the Italians, they will choose this all by its own. I think 30% of the production in Italy is, was drunk in the last months because together with the panettone, in waiting for Christmas, because, you know, in Italy, let's say we have good culture of coffee, espresso in the morning, cappuccino, maybe in the early morning. In the afternoon, mm, people, they don't meet together for a coffee, but rather for an aperitif. So, or, you know, for Campari or something like this, Aperol and so on. But also in wine bars, they are serving or Moscato and Prachetto. And usually when you have in it- Italy, you have an aperitif, you have uh, cold cuts uh, and Mostly you have also the gorgonzola on the on the bread and this always works. So you clean up your palate from from this sweetness, although this wine is not really sticky. So as you told before, it's no, really super fresh. Wine. 
but it is. It's it's uh, the sugar is not sticky. No, it's lovely. Is it? It's fresh, light, and actually frothy because it's not fully sparkling. You know, so for anybody to know, like when you open up this wine, you open it up like a normal wine with a cork. It doesn't have a cage. This is not like champagne. It's got a little bit of that frothy bubbles, but also as well, I think we should point out what, and this is why it's an amazing aperitif wine to drink. It's five point five percent. I could drink the whole bottle to myself. In fact, I might. <laughs> I always say 5.5, drink and drive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if we're supposed Maybe to be supporting that, but, but, you know, you definitely can. So, okay, so for anybody wanting to know a bit more about this wine, the Brachetto part is the grape variety. So as a grape variety, is it ever used as a still wine or is this always in this slightly sweet frothy style so most mostly it's in in the in the sweet style but there are some producers i think scarpa is one of that doing a dry version which i tasted but i must say it was maybe 20 25 years ago the last time i remember you have anyway the perfumes on the nose it's very similar because you have especially these floral notes and these this red the uh, flavors, which actually, uh, and then you, you are a little bit disappointed when you get it on the palate as a dry wine, because let's say lacking, then the acidity a little bit, lacking uh, also the tannins makes the wine, let's say, you, you have to love this. There's another great variety in Piedmont called Ruque, which has similar flavors, uh, let's say these rose flavors rather more than the strawberry flavors. And this is always uh, produced as a dry red wine, which is more exciting. So the Rouquet is, is kind of aromatic, but not as aromatic as the Brachetto. And Brachetto Aqui, or let's say Brachetto d'Aqui, which is the denomination, is uh, because it's coming from a small town, uh, not small town, 20,000 20, people living there. Oh, no, sorry, 2,000. No, no, 20,000, 20,000 people living there. It's a spa uh, town, spa area, so lots of spring falls, especially sulfurish, especially when you go there in winter, you have this, this, uh, the foam in the center of the city, the foam of this sulfurish, quite smelly, uh, smelly stuff. But this is, and you always see, let's say, uh, rarely it's snowing in our area, but if it's snowing, the snow is, uh, is melting very fast in this area because there's some volcanic activity. So we have a part of this mostly clay, sandy soil with some, some limestone. We have also a, a volcanic uh, subground, which is responsible for these hot spring falls over there. And this makes the, the, the soil so good for these aromatic grape varieties because you don't only find Brachetto, but also Moscato in this area. And it's a grape variety also, which is, the first one to be harvested. So in the last years with this climatic change, we started sometimes uh, already in the last week of August. And usually it's, it's the second week of September, but uh, with this, we are getting two, two weeks earlier than 20 years ago. Of course, the potential alcohol would be a wine of 12.5, 13% easily, but stopping the fermentation when we are getting close to five uh, in a bottle and 5.5 degrees of alcohol, leaves the residual sugar, which is around the 130, 135 grams. Uh. That's, do you know what? I didn't expect it to be that high. I was thinking, I don't know, 60, 70, because it doesn't actually seem that sweet. Okay, yeah, well, Historically, it seems around like a little higher than this, maybe goods Riesling from Germany or whatever. But let's say they are leaving because 
Again, also there they have a high acidity and bracketto also has this high acidity. And the pH is so low, which means it's more acidic, the wine on the palate, uh, because of the carbonic acid as being an acid. Yeah. So for anybody listening as well, because the bubbles are created naturally, and this does not go through a second fermentation like traditional method. This is just the one time and then you stop it halfway through. Hence, not so many bubbles and the alcohol is still, you know, it's still 5.5 and there's the sweetness. It's all because of that one fermentation, the process where the bubbles are trapped. So they are naturally created, aren't they? Yes, because we are producing, let's say, after the, the grapes arrive, we are crushing them, leaving them on a normal stainless steel just for maceration because you need two, sometimes three days uh, to get this. Uh, anyway, it's not a dark red color, but it's a, it's a light red color, I would say. It's anyway, it's quite ruby. So it's, it's beautiful, bright. Uh, bright. So after two, maximum three days, we have to clarify the master a little bit. And then we are putting them into an autoclave, which what is an autoclave? It's just a stainless steel pressure tanks. So where, which is usually used to make in the Charmat method, other sparkling wines. And we keep three or four tanks temperature controlled, uh, close to zero over the year and fermenting um, every other month, one of the tanks, adding just a special aromatic yeast in our case. And then fermentation starts and it takes quite a long time, 15 to 20 days, just to reach because it's going under pressure and the yeast, they don't really like pressure. Like, mm. Who likes pressure? <laughs> <laughs> even, Take it not away. Even you. <laughs> Very valid point. And so therefore, uh, it takes a long time for them to uh, transform the sugar into alcohol. And as if one, by, let's say there are two byproducts. One is temperature, which we control because anyway, fermentation temperature is around 15 degrees cent- centigrade. And then the pressure, uh, what, what do I say? And the, the pressure is going higher and higher. In the bottle itself, the pressure is around two, maximum 2.5 bar. Compared to champagne, for example, it's five, six bar, no? And indeed, there exists also the, the Brachetto sparkling. We call it Brachetto spumante version, which under the same denomination. So if you if you buy a, a bottle, you have to, just to check if you have a closure like the champagne with the agraf. This is a Brachetto spumante, which maybe is slightly slower in sugar, alcohol around the same, maybe one, one degree higher in alcohol. And, but it has a six percent, six bar pressure. So it's really, it's, it's different. It's different. But the Brachetto Tacqui, it's this one fermentation going up. And when we are going close, coming close to five percent, we are cooling it down to zero degrees. So the yeast definitely stopped to work. We control the pressure, which let's say usually it's a little higher than 2.5 and release the, the higher pressure. And, uh, we are going through micro, uh, uh micro filtration into the bottles so um so the gas cannot escape because let's say if you have an ice cold sparkling water if you open it the bubbles are not coming out they are waiting that it's getting warmer <laughs> and so it's going directly into the into the bottle and close and let's say you can keep the wine up to three years i would say uh, but let's say the younger it is the fresher it is of course this is um and that's the joy of it i mean this is a 2023 that we're drinking um for anybody as well i had a look on the internet it's about 15 pounds from in the uk a place called tanners so this is not an expensive bottle of wine and again it just it's joyful it's joyful it's bright it's light it's super fruity it's juicy and then 
all of those florals, a real explosion. And actually, do you know what? It's also kind of grapey as well. Like we talk about Moscato grape, which we'll go on to in a second, being the one grape in the world that actually tastes and smells like grapes. (laughs) But this has a grapey edge to it as well, which is really interesting. I don't know, you know, maybe because it's grown right next to Moscato, maybe it just absorbs something. (laughs) I don't know. It's certainly a met of soil and and variety and, and the area giving this beautiful flavor to it, yes. So I've actually put this in a white wine glass, but kind of like a Sauvignon Blanc glass it's, or like a small version of like a, a champagne glass, but it's got a big enough bowl and tapers in so I can catch the aromatics. Would you put it in that kind of glass? Yeah, I fully agree with your, your uh, choice of shape. Unfortunately, when you go to even local restaurants, they serve it still in a kind of cup, which I hate. I always ask, <laughs> that, uh, or I use actually the white wine glass. Indeed, I, I would say, let's say, uh, what you, what everybody has at home is a kind of Chardonnay glass, no, a smaller Chardonnay glass, which would be the the perfect shape, I, I think, to or this or a little broader champagne glasses, yes, of course, if okay. you want to. If, if you like to, to wash glasses, <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> exactly. We'll leave that up to everybody. And lastly, on Bracato de Qui, what temperature do you think you get the most out of it? So let's say we put a uh, Bracato in the tastings always on ice, of course, but coming fresh from the ice, uh, it's a little bit too cold, although let's say it's warming up in the glass uh, quite fast. But let's say if you want to point me down, I would say between seven and 10 degrees. This is the perfect uh, serving temperature. Okay, good. Right, everybody, Valentine's Day, get yourself a bottle of this, chocolate-covered strawberries. It's going to, and, you know, a bit of maybe charcuterie as well. And anyway, you're going to have a wonderful time. Moscato d'Asti. Now, this wine for me has always been, I, I think this is the most fun wine in the world and possibly one of the wine world's best-kept secrets to the public. No. It is. Let's say, especially as a young person, when you start to drink wine, let's say there's no no better better chance than going directly to Moscato d'Asti before you go more to the drier versions, to the Prosecco or Champagne or, or other sparklings from, from the rest of the world. But the Moscato, um, again, uh, in a non-trained palate, gives you fun. So it's always funny when I'm in a tastings and let's say, the ladies are always coming and they want to have Moscato and their friends, uh, they say, no, 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 no sweet wine for me. But then I insist and the girls insist that he has to taste. And what I always get back is a fantastic smile. <laughs> Let's say, 100%. I, mm-hmm. I prefer to have the smile and say, oh, interesting or whatever. So, but because it makes you smile because it's so intriguing again. It's maybe not so complex and not this floral flavors than the bracetto. You have this really grapey, and I love aromatic aromas. And also there is a thing which in Italy is unknown, but you in the UK, also in the US, it's not that known, it's elderflowers. Yes. So, uh, in Austria, Germany, so I'm from Austria, elderflowers are growing everywhere. So even even at the, at the, at the trains, <laughs> train tracks and so on. And in May, end of May, you have this flowering of this elderflower. It's actually, it's an elderflower juice. So we, we have actually in, in, in Austria, we do the syrup with, with the elderflower. We and have we some here. Mm. Ah, you do mm. too. And yeah, it, yeah. when you go to ski in the Alberg, what are you drinking after, after skiing? It's called Hugo. Hugo, which is a mixture of elderflower uh, syrup with Prosecco and sparkling water soda. And then, of course, we are topped up with ice and it's beautiful to drink. And 
this wine, Moscato, especially our Moscato, which is coming from a northern-facing slope. It, actually, it's called Vigna Senza Nome, which literally means vineyard without name. Oh, really? Because okay. it's coming out from a huge hill. It's a 60 hectares hill, and we have nine hectares uh, nearly in the core of this hill. And my father-in-law, he wanted to find the crew name. So we have to, let's go back to the 60s, 70s, where it was not a very good time for Moscato because, let's say, at this time, the addition of sulfur was very high. And let's say after two bottles of Moscato, headache 100% the next day and so on. And this changed, of course, in the 70s and the 80s with high quality production of, of Moscato, not only industrial production. And so he sit, sat down with the other owners and the other farmers to find a crew name, which uh, at this time always helped to promote the wine. So it's not Moscato d'Aste, but it's, let's say, whatever. And after a couple of evenings, he stood up and said, okay, it's not possible to find a name with you. I give no name to this vineyard. And this in Italy means Vigna Senza Nome, Vineyard Without Name. And it's really beautiful. And we are in a lucky situation there, really. It's literally, it's a north, northwest facing slope. Which maybe in the eighties not was not always so easy to produce uh, healthy grapes because we're for sour rot and so on, but now with this global global change, we are quite on the winning side of of the slope <laughs> on the northern side, having especially this preserving freshness. Uh, so not only the acidity but also this rather more apple green apple flavors into the glass. Then if you go on the other side, then you are falling into a valley called Belbo Valley and. Uh, capital of Moscato, actually, Santo Stefano Belvo. But the style of the Moscato is changing. It's more honey. It's 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 a little, uh, it's a sweeter style. So whereas this is, again, this wine leaves your palate completely dry. But this is still 100 grams. So it's a little lower than Brachetto, but it's still on the, on the very high side of, of sugar. I love, you're so right about the elderflower, but I love that it's got this muskiness like Moscato d'Asti is always aromatic and of course it's beautifully aromatic but it's got this slightly more savory edge and this lovely lemon sherbet and I guess like you said the fact that it's north facing it's a cooler version it doesn't have all that the, the tropical notes that it can do but still it's bright it's like it's got jasmine it's got orange blossom but I really like this kind of restrained muskiness that's going yes. along with it as well you know this is a cool cool guy you know just, yeah. just you, know, you know it's it's actually nice it's let me use this <laughs> like you said this isn't a wine that needs to be analyze too much this is a wine that just needs to be drunk again it's 5.5 percent isn't it yeah yes. 5.5 percent it's frothy it's semi-sparkling it is just something that is going to put a smile on your face just what you said but there is something a little bit more restrained a little bit yeah. more stand back and a little bit it, i quite really like the interest in this with that like muskiness so oh uh, yummy so this is made the same way as the barchetto da cui right yeah. of course it's no fe- maceration so it's going directly from the press into uh, let's say after clarification into the outclass and then the process is the same so Exactly. So you mentioned panettone. Panettone yeah. is a perfect pairing for Moscato d'Asti and, and fruit desserts, things with sponge and stuff. But do you have some perfect pairings for Moscato d'Asti? I think a perfect match would be everything based on hazelnuts. You know, after Ooh, wine, yes. hazelnuts, Vietnam is number one in Europe after Turkey. And, you know, 
what what is happening to all these hazelnuts. Mostly it's produced into Nutella from Finalma. Mm-hmm. You can smell um, it. Actually, that's the funny thing. I went near to the factory and I remember I was about three streets away and you could smell the Nutella in the air. And I don't know if I would, it was nice for a second. I'm not sure if I would like living there where constantly your no, nose is being. <laughs> it's only, no, it's only two months of a year. Ah. Okay. But the funny thing is, it's uh, it's actually at the same time as of the truffle season. And so the people think uh, they're going down. You have to park outside of the city because you cannot go in. And you expect to go into the tent where they sell and they show the truffle and so on. And so the people think, oh, you know, we get the expensive truffle smells getting out of the car. And you get this <laughs> super sweet nougat chocolate. Yeah, oh, no. Uh, and the funny thing is, unfortunately, not today, not, not even in the, next, uh, in the next podcast when we are speaking about Barbera, but... If you age Barbera and also if you age Nebbiolo a certain time, so it must be a minimum four, five, six years, then you get these roasted aromas of roasted hazelnuts into the wine for free. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Good tip, everyone. Just be patient with your red wines. Oh, dear. Would you serve this wine again, same wine glass you've said, again, between yes. seven, 10 degrees, same thing. Treat it the same, same way as the Barquetta. Perfect. Yeah, oh, and this is a similar price again, everybody. Same place, actually Tanner's, $15.95 they're doing this. So if anybody hasn't tried these two wines and you fancy something that's lower in alcohol, lovely, a little sweet, frothy, really just going to make you happy. Or again, if you want to drink a wine with most people that maybe haven't tried this, this is the type of wine I think you can surprise people with, right? So happy juice, alcoholic, but only just alcoholic happy juice. That is what these two are. It's great. No, it's a perfect description. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So as you may have heard suggested in this episode, it is in fact Bridal Winery that is the story of Barbera, the grape variety Barbera. And so we will be talking all about their Barberas in part two. So join back again next week. But for now, may I finish off with a love and wine quote, of course, as we prepare ourselves for Valentine's Day. And so Aripides most famously said, where there is no wine, there is no love. And so stock yourself up with some wine. Make sure you get hold of these two absolutely delightful, happy wines. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to like the podcast, share the podcast with your wine-loving friends. And of course, please leave a review if you do have two moments. It does make the podcast far more discoverable for other people. Right, me and my Barquetto de Aqui, we need some time alone, time to connect. And so I raise my delicious red frothy glass to you all. Until next week, my wine friends, cheers to you.